Welcome to Intentionally Grounded. On episode three, we had the chance to sit down with Apple Valley head coach Chad Clendenning and offensive coordinator Jeff Lugum. In the episode, we learn about Apple Valley's two-back spread offense, along with program-building strategies by head coach Chad Clendenning. As always, you can find our weekly podcast, released on Wednesdays, at the following different locations. iTunes, Stitcher, and also Anchor. And you can also check us out on our website at igfootballcoach.com. We're here with Coach Chad Clendenning and Jeff Flugum of Apple Valley High School. Coaches, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, Chad Clendenning here. I'm the head coach at Apple Valley High School. I have been for, well, this was my fifth year. I've been coaching at Apple Valley High School for, for 18 years now. Um, got into coaching. I just always loved the, the game of football and, and athletics. And uh, it was, you know, when it was time for me to kind of look at, at getting into coaching, I contacted a, a prior coach of mine who, when I was younger, had said, if you're ever interested in coaching, uh, please look me up. And, and he really did a lot to make that happen for me. I was fortunate to get hired by Mike Fritzy here at Apple Valley High School 19 years ago and uh, worked my way up from a, an assistant coach uh, to a coordinator and now head coach. Yeah, as a, when I was growing up, I had some great coaches. Uh, Paul Miller was one of my coaches as well, and he really got me into coaching uh, when I was in college, really got me interested. He was my high school and college coach, and so um, he, he kind of knew and he kind of saw uh, that this might be something I'd be interested in, so he kind of took me under his wing as we were uh, going through my four years at St. Olaf, and then uh, uh, after I graduated, I got into teaching and, and got a job at South St. Paul High School and was fortunate enough again to get reconnected with Paul and worked with him and, and uh, really just had a, a, an outstanding experience, especially those first couple of years learning the ropes from him. And, um, and, and, and it was just a, a great learning time for me and uh, not only with them, but also the rest of the guys at South St. Paul as well. And, you know, I was there for eight years, and, and I moved over to Apple Valley in 2011. I've been a uh, position coach, and, and uh, five years ago when Chad took over, I, uh, he asked me to be the offensive coordinator, and obviously I jumped at that opportunity. So um, it's been great to get back at Apple Valley and, and uh, have this experience the last few years. Chad, you hit on this too. You, you grew up in Apple Valley. You, you played for the team in the late 80s, and then you came back as an assistant coach. What has changed over the last couple, you know, the last couple decades at the Apple Valley program? Well, I, I think there's kind of two levels of change. One has been what's going on here in our community. I think the, the bigger one is just what's going on. The, the challenges that all football coaches are, are facing right now, I think the obvious conversation about safety concerns and, you know, as coaches doing everything that we can to, to protect the game and to make it something kids are safe and, and, parents feel good about them participating in. I think there's, you know, the obvious rule and policy changes that have, that have changed how we did business, how we have to coach differently maybe than, than we were coached at the time that we played. I think specialization is more common now uh, with kids being one sport athletes. Um, we really try to encourage multi-sport participation, but I think that's something all kids or all coaches are, are dealing with. I think, uh, I think there's the societal trend a little bit of just instant gratification. I think it takes a little bit more to get kids interested uh, in playing any sports or multiple sports sometimes. Specific at Apple Valley, you know, I guess the big one, the obvious one is uh, our enrollment and the numbers. You know, anytime you go from being a, a 6A school to a 5A school, that's reflective of, of your enrollment numbers. And 
you know, for us, it's something that we need to embrace who we are as a school and as a community. And one thing that hasn't changed that's been consistent in this building is the tradition and expectation of excellence. And that's something that we want to continue to provide a quality program for the kids in this community. And another thing that I think has really changed for uh, athletics in general is just the importance of uh, booster clubs. When you look at how athletics are funded now compared to how they were when I played or even 20 years ago, um, booster clubs play such a major role in supporting our program by providing kids everything from safety equipment uh, to off-field experiences and, and purchasing new equipment. And our club in particular has really stepped up and done a great job of providing those things for, for our football program. Awesome, Coach. It's good to hear that, you know, some things, even though we're seeing a little bit of a, a dip in enrollment, that things are still going strong at Apple Valley. Uh, Coach uh, Flugum, I have a question now. We're going to turn to you. Um, if For a person who's never seen your offense in motion, how, how would you describe your offense and what has influenced you or who has influenced you the most in creating your offensive identity? Um, well, uh, we are a two-back spread power running team. Uh, we, we, we said the very first day when I took over as offensive coordinator, um, it might be, you know, third and one, fourth and one to go. And we know what play we're going to call. We're going to call, you know, traditional power. And, and that's something that we've tried to establish. And, um, and, and using our base plays, we try to keep it as simple as possible for our offensive linemen. And then really try to window dress it as much as possible using a lot of motion, uh, a lot of different formations while it may, look like we're doing a lot of things in, in reality we're, we're it's pretty simple um, from our standpoint and, and that's really um, what we've tried to hang our hat on you know keeping it making it look complex but keeping it simple for the kids um, you know we always have some some things that I stole from South St. Paul we will always have unbalanced formations uh, which they've been known to do throughout the years uh, and we will always have some sort of element of option and uh, those are things that we'll mix in in various ways in a lot of different ways, whether it's a run-pass option or just a straight, you know, run-run option or uh, any sort of change-up like that, or even if it's just if it's just a quarterback read, uh, we're always going to have some sort of element of option. Um, when teams see us, I, I would hope that they would see just kind of just the looking at us, uh, the the different formations and the different motions, um, and keeping teams off balance like that with those sorts of things. Jeff, and we'll stay with you just for a minute. How difficult is it? Um, to implement and run the option as much as you guys do run it, um, you know. And, and what are some of the vital aspects? I'm sure the people try to change who you're reading constantly from week to week, and, yeah. and probably quarter to quarter. How hard is that to implement and and to keep keep your system so successful? Well, again, we've we've really tried to simplify it um, with just the verbiage. For example, if we're going to read the end, we're we're always going to tell our quarterback. Great. If it's great, give the ball. Don't be afraid to give it a, a zero yard gain is better than a fumble. And so we've really tried to just keep it simple or reading uh, one particular guy. And if it doesn't look good, just to give it, um, you know, as far as preparation goes, you know, we we've kind of figured out through the years that we we struggle when we try to do too much in practice uh, with trying to figure out, all right, who's going to be the read key, who's going to be the read key, who's going to do what we've kind of just come up with a philosophy over through the years, just we're going to keep, we're going to worry about ourselves and we're going to make sure that we uh, do our reads correctly. And, you know, we'll worry about it in, in game time and we'll try to prepare as much as we can with film. Um, but we're really going to practice and focus in on us as opposed to trying to 
you know, come up with what could they do or what they might do as a, in, in, in that kind of light. Jeff, follow-up question with your, with your option. When, in terms of practice yeah. structure, um, do you guys have like a period every day or every week that you guys practice on who the read key is from week to week, or how do you guys structure that into your practice? Yeah, depending on the game plan and what type of option looks we're going to give, we're going to set up drills specifically for that. So it might start, start just at the position level with quarterbacks uh, looking and, and just do, doing a simple read, and then we'll keep building it up to where we would have an entire session um, with uh, our quarterbacks, backs who are involved, and in, in if it's a motion person, um, we'll just keep trying to we'll try to rep it as much as we possibly can, whether it's uh, 10 minutes a day uh, to you know 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, depending on what we're trying to accomplish that week. So it's a really week-to-week process in in examining uh, what and what we're trying to accomplish that week. Chad, we'll go back to you now. Um, having a, a, some experience as a defensive coordinator in your past, how active of a role do you now play as the head coach in, in the offense's identity? Uh, do you sit in on meetings? Do you coach a position group? How involved are you on the offensive side of things? <clears throat> I'm still really involved in defense. I, uh, I still serve as the defensive coordinator, and, and I guess all that means is I signal things from the sideline. But from a game planning and preparation standpoint, uh, that's where I spend most of my time. I always tell our defensive backs coach that he's going to have the worst job on our staff because I'm going to come in down and coach those guys. It's something that's hard for me to to let go. And I guess when I became a head coach, one of my greatest fears was um, getting too much onto the administrative side and, and all of those duties and getting away from actually coaching technique and doing the game planning. So that's something I will always uh, have my hands on. As far as the offense, you know, first of all, I have a complete trust in our offensive staff and how they go about game planning and, and teaching and watching film and breaking down film. Uh, but I have, I would say I've gotten more and more involved in it, not from a play calling standpoint, but just kind of formulating the layers of our offense and the things that we're trying to accomplish and, you know, what's at the core of who we are, what's at those next layers. And a lot of that is, you know, maybe being able to, uh, assist more at the lower levels of our program and providing resources for them. Uh, but as far as calling the game, uh, very little. You know, I might I might talk to Jeff. We have we have more conversations one on one about situational game planning and play calling than we do for me sitting in the offensive meeting room. Chad, if you had your defensive coordinator hat on, you know, what about what Jeff does on offense gives you know defenses so much trouble. Well, you know, we've, we've talked about this and, you know, we, we always say we're our own best resource and our, our offensive coaches have taken, you know, suggestions from our defensive staff and vice versa. And oftentimes those are things have paid huge dividends. And, you know, Jeff's asked me, well, where would you start in getting ready to defend our team? And so we've, we've thought about that. You know, for me, I think if I think of the process that we go through for defensive game planning, it's on the surface, it just, it gives teams a lot to prepare for whether it's different personnel packages, um, different looks uh, out of the same package, different formations and alignments. Jeff's already talked about motion and movement. And, you know, to me, one of the things I think our offensive staff does a really exceptional job at is identifying matchups and manipulating our uh, presentation to take advantage of the things that they see during game planning.
Jeff, we're going to go back to you now with the next question. Uh, take us back and, and go through the your typical game week for you guys and, and break us down uh, what really goes into a typical game planning session with you. How do you break down film and prepare for the next week, and what things are you typically looking for in an opponent? Yeah, we'll start. I'll start breaking film down the previous Thursday night for next week. That's kind of my our, our, our lighter practice days. I'll start breaking that down Thursday night. Uh, you know, and, and with Halt, we'll have you know multiple games in our in our uh, folder already um, on a typical week. So I'll start breaking down teams that look like us, <clears throat> maybe from previous weeks, in, in things that they might run similar. Um, and and then going into Saturday, what we'll do is we'll again just start looking at film, just get a general uh, consensus of you know kind of what they're looking at, uh, their defense looks like. Uh, what do they look like against base formations? And then when we come in on Sunday, our coaches have already divided up the film and broken it down. Uh, you know, our offensive line coach is going to look at fronts and, and their blitzes, and they'll, they'll label all those. Um, our wide receiver coaches are going to look at our, uh, our, what they do defensively in the defensive backfield, looking at coverages. And then uh, our running backs coach will kind of just get a sense of who's making plays, who's making tackles, and he'll chart that also on huddle. And so then when we come in on Sunday – we have pretty much the game film broken down. And then at that point in time, before we get into our meeting, I'll already have broken down. Um, I'll try to set up different playlists for us. Uh, we like to look at down and distance. What are they, what are their calls on thir third down and short? You know, what are their calls in particular field zones? What's their, what's their red zone defense? Every team changes their defense just a little bit when they start getting backed up into that red zone. And so we'll start breaking it and we'll start looking at what teams start to do uh, at different field positions. And then that's kind of the, when we start breaking down film, the things that we look at. When we start putting together a game plan, we'll, we'll look at our last week's call sheet and what did we do and what did we run, um, what, what, worked, what worked well from, from that perspective, and then we'll start trying to find some tweaks about what we're going to do. We start fresh every week, and uh, when we start going to a game plan session, we'll have, uh, we hope to have anywhere from 28 to 32 base plays and within that, we want to try to be 50-50. And then what we'll do is we'll start writing down formationally based off of kind of the things that we did the previous week, how can we tweak it, and then start writing it down 1 to 28, 1 to 32, and then start putting a list together. And for us, one of the, again, another good tool for us has been Google Documents, Google Docs, and just start writing those down to where all of our coaches then have access to that and they can change things and we can uh, tweak things as the week goes by. And then we, for the week, we use that 32 playlist to build our scripts. So we pretty much have that done by Sunday. And then by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's what's building our script. And I'll just check. I'll have a list of our 32 plays and just run a checklist. How many times did we run power out of our two-back look this way? How many times did we run power out of one-back? You know, and we will just check down the list how many times we run our 32 plays for the week so that when we go into a game, we're, our kids are really comfortable uh, about what we're running. And we've practiced it numerous times. We can track how much we've practiced it uh, throughout the week. It's always interesting to hear how other coaches, you know, go about uh, game planning and, and organizing their call sheet. And it's really interesting how you guys do and, and set up all, all of your, your practices and your call sheet. I think it's really helpful. At least for me, I'm a, a young coordinator. I really find a lot of value in that. Uh, Jeff, another follow-up question I have for you is some of the coaches that we've talked to uh, through our podcast, our brief podcasting uh, career so far, has talked about all the ways that they incorporate their quarterback in their game planning, and so some, you mm -hmm. know, check with the quarterback to see what plays they like, when, and they take that into consideration when they make their call sheet. How involved is the quarterback in your game planning? 
Um, you know, uh, I, I guess for me it varies year to year. Um, we had a quarterback that's a, that was a walk-on at NDSU uh, the last year and, and was a really smart kid, um, really knew football inside and out, and was very confident and was and we would go over with him uh, the game plan before we'd give it to everybody else and, and ask him what he thinks after you've looked at film. Um, this last year we had a quarterback who was really athletic. He only played the position uh, for us for one year, and so those things, um, you know, we talked with him a little bit about, you know, what he liked running this week um, for, from, uh, depending on the opponent and where we could attack teams. But it really depends on uh, the quarterback year to year. And, um, uh, you know, the quarterback that we had used this year was, was more of a, a running quarterback. And so we asked him and, and really talked with him about where we, uh, where, what he liked to run and where he would like to run. Um, but it wasn't necessarily too much in the passing game. You know, a year ago with Noah Sanders, um, we really, he really said, would look at the game plan and, and, and put himself as a coach and, and, uh, you know, here's where I think we can attack these guys. And, you know, this last year was more, uh, where did, where was our quarterback comfortable running the ball in particular, um, and, and what types of throws he wanted to get. But, um, again, I, I just keep going back to the, the it depends on the, t- on the kid from a, on a year to year basis. This year, I think we'll have a, a kid that's a pretty cerebral kid. Um, so I think he's really involved and, and is looking for that as well. Jeff, and we're going to stay on the run game just because it is so successful at Apple Valley. But during the week, how do you install your run game? So you have your 32 plays, and you try to keep them balanced. So you're looking at 14 to 16 running plays. Um, you know, How do you install those 14 to 16 plays in a week, and, and how do you like to structure that? Is it heavy on the power, or do you try to get 10 different options, what plays you can put in the playbook for a week? And as the season goes on, does it look – to you as it becomes more of a power running game or are you going to put more option in as the year goes well it, it, you know the good thing for us again it's been a week-to-week basis as far as planning uh those types of option looks but uh, you know i'll go back to one of the, the first questions in that we really when we game plan we plan for five base runs that's what we do and we're going to try to run those base runs anywhere from two to three different looks and so for us we run power we run a counter play we run an outside zone an inside zone and then we'll kind of, to that fifth one, we'll go back, depending on game planning, either an ISO play or a trap play uh, or what we call a gut play, um, where it's pretty much just a base block all the way across, again, depending on the game plan. And so what we'll do is on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, and, and we've shifted this from year to year, um, but usually what we try to do is we try to do all of our zone plays on one day and all of our gap plays on the next day. And so uh, all of our, uh, when we talk about on Tuesday, we're going to run inside zone and outside zone and then run those looks that we know that we're game planning for uh, on Tuesday. Uh, and on Wednesday, then we'll, we'll go back to the, the gap plays uh, and then, again, run those, put those into our scripts, whether it's, you know, a small group run or in our team session. Um, we'll try to keep that uh, those together. But it varies from year to year. Uh, you know, a little bit this year when we were running a little bit more option looks, we did one day our option looks. Uh, with all of our run plays, and the other day we did our uh, uh, just our uh, we know our base handoff looks. Stepping away a little bit from the running game, Jeff, we're going to talk a little bit about your passing game. In terms of how your passing game is structured, are you guys a, a concept team, route tree team, uh, and what kind of what does the verbiage kind of sound like in your passing game? Well, again, we want to try to keep it simple. Um, we are a concept team, and 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 that's been something that we we've uh, tried to implement and. And create throughout the years just for some, some consistency. Um, in any given year, we, we look to have 
uh, our goal is to have multiple launch points for the quarterback. And when we throw the ball, um, we'll prepare and have going into the season anywhere from eight to 12 drop back pass game uh, looks. Um, we'll have probably another four to five quick game looks. Uh, we'll have uh, a few play action, whether it's a drop back play action or a boot play action. Uh, and then obviously a, you know, throw in a few screens. Um, and then we'll also have a rollout game this year, which was a little bit more um, advantageous for us since we did have a little bit more of a running quarterback um, on any given year. That's that's kind of what we go into the year with. And any given week, again, we'll try to go into a game plan with having maybe three to four drop back looks, depending on what the defense has given us, um, you know, two to three quick game type, the three-step game. Um, and then, you know, anywhere from four to six play action looks, whether it's a drop back game uh, or, or a, a, boot, a true boot look uh, for that. Um, and for us, our verbiage is we try to keep it simple. Um, and we try to, if we're going to do an RPO, we try to use the stuff that's already in our package uh, that we can put with the RPO as opposed to uh, trying to come up with something different. Um, our passing game, we, we try to keep it really simple. We try to keep it just to, to call out the protection uh, from the sideline. We'll signal it in. Uh, and then we'll we'll have our, our whatever the, the case may be out of what, whatever formation we give them, we'll, we'll be able to run that particular concept uh, out of that formation and, and uh, just keep it really simple. So it'd be, you know, for us, it'd be just our, our protection and then concept. And that's really it. Uh, touching on that pr- protection from the offensive line standpoint, coach, how many different protection schemes do you guys employ? Um, for us, we, we have uh, our base dropback look, which is a, a half-man, half-zone look, where our call side will be on man and the, the back side will be zone. Um, we have a slide protection. That's really our, from our dropback game. Uh, and then our, our play-action game really is actually our run game. We try to run our, our run plays with our play-action packages to set up the play and to set up the play-action. So we're trying to make our our play action, really more run action and making it really truly look like the play that's being ran. And so uh, protection wise, it's just whatever play, whether it's power, we'll, you know, we dabbled in that pulling the guard on our play action look, or whether it's boot, they're going to run outside zone one way and try to make it look like outside zone that we're going to boot back the, obviously the other way. So really our drop back protection, then obviously our, our drop back quick game, and then our, our run action look, and then our rollout game really are the only protections we have. Jeff, as we've talked to other other coaches and other offensive coordinators, it's varied, you know, on how much they put on their quarterbacks for um, coverage responsibilities. And how much do you guys put on your guys? Do do you expect your quarterback to have, um, you know, a basic concept of coverages he's going to see from week to week, or do you kind of keep him tunnel visioned and predetermined a lot of his throws? Well, we, we try to teach them as much in the summer as possible for coverages. And we'll, we'll, again, we'll try to keep it really simple and we'll use uh, a certain flow chart. I mean, for us, we'll, we'll get into how many safeties are, are, do you see out in the field? And if it's too high, one high, what do those mean? You know, if it's too high, what are your options? If it's one high, what are your options? Uh, and then and we always talk to our quarterbacks, the more, you know, pre-snap, the better you can make a play later. And we talk through the various coverages that we, that we're going to see and talk about where are the weak spots, you know, where in a cover three are the natural weak spots in a cover three zone. And we want to try to not necessarily predetermine our throws to that spot, but just understand that when you're making a throw, uh, if it's you're against a cover three look, you know that a flood pattern to the call side is going to be a really good look. And so to, 
to then be able to read your your keys based off of that. Um, and and if it's a one high safety, two high safety, what are you going to get? Maybe cover two, maybe cover four. Where are the soft spots in cover four? And be able to attack those spots to sort of think of those things as you're making your decisions uh, and going through your progressions. That's really good stuff, Coach. Chad, we're going to come back here, and, and this is something that we, I don't think we've touched on at all in any of our podcasts, but as a head football coach, what do you look for when you're hiring assistant coaches? And, and as you build a coaching staff, um, you know, obviously you've hit on this a little bit. You, you have a lot of expectations and standards for your offensive guys, but, but talk about your expectations for the entire staff, maybe from, from the top all the way down to the youth levels. Um, you know, I'll just say first off, I mean, it's, it's difficult. And I think it's more and more common where there's people on coaching staffs that aren't working in the school than are. I, I know for us, uh, that's the norm. We have, a you know, of our staff, I think we have four coaches in the building. Um, and so it's difficult. And, and the biggest challenge isn't finding people that are qualified or even want to coach. It's finding people that can do business in the, the time frame that we do, that, that window of time from 2.30 to 5.30 on a weekday and the availability on weekends for our varsity staff. It, it just doesn't fit a lot of people's lifestyles unless you're independently employed or if you uh, work for, you know, in education. So that part of it, more than finding qualified people, is, is the challenge. Um, when I, you know, look at building a coaching staff, I'm really proud of the guys that we have with us right now. Um, you know, in the five years that I've been here, we've had a few changes, but we've really stabilized and we have people that want to continue to come back year after year. That tells me that we're, we're doing something right as a program. I guess, you know, the first thing for me is the ability to teach. And we talk about it all the time that it doesn't matter what we know, it matters what the kids know. So the ability to teach, whether you're an educator or not, and, and convey concepts and ideas and schemes to ki- and expectations to kids. Um, I think a passion for kids in the game of football and being around kids and feeding off of their energy and being a great role model to kids. Um, that's a big reason I know Jeff and I both got into this. Some of the most important people or influential people in our lives uh, were people that were coaches for us uh, during our high school years. And, and you know, we want to be those kind of role models to kids. So having a genuine passion for kids and for the game is important. I think you know, obviously football knowledge has to fall into that, but it's probably comes after the, the other two. Uh, we can teach coaches the game. We can teach coaches that coach other sports can help us. Um, so I think, I think those are the biggest things. And then having great coaches at the lower levels uh, is critical and having them buy into our system and be eager to learn uh, what we're doing from, you know, ninth grade down to the middle school levels and even, even connecting with our, our elementary age uh, players and giving those coaches the kind of resources that they need to be comfortable. It's getting harder and harder to find people that want to uh, coach youth sports in general uh, from a time commitment. And I think a lot of parents, which is what you end up with at that level are, you know, maybe willing, but they're not comfortable. So we do We do as much as we can with clinicking with those coaches, providing them resources and trying to put together a scope and, sequence where what they're doing looks like Apple Valley football. Kind of a follow-up question, Chad. I know you talked about it a little bit already, but how involved are you personally with the, the youth feeder program in Apple Valley? Uh, very. I'd say I'm very involved. I have a very good relationship with the people that are on the VAA board, the football board, and 
I have regular communication, not just during the football season, but throughout the year for the planning and the process and the needs and what we're able to do with them. Uh, we take advantage of as many opportunities as we can to get our players and coaches in front of the, the youth level players and coaches. And, you know, we want them to look up at the, at the older kids, the varsity level kids and say, and catch them at an early age so that that's what they aspire to be someday. And that wearing that uniform and playing on that field means something to them. And we have to be willing to uh, dedicate and devote a lot of time uh, to the youth program in order to make that happen. And I think our coaches at the high school level have done a tremendous job of making themselves available. We do, like I said, a lot of clinicking and meetings, whether it's clinicking with just the staff. We have our coaches and players run a week-long clinic for our third through sixth grade players, uh, which kind of kicks off their evaluation process up through the first day of blocking and tackling to try to teach them safe and fundamentally sound ways to teach the contact aspect of the sport. And we get to that on day four when they're first able to put on pads and we teach them position drills and how to safely teach blocking and tackling because uh, you know, if they were to do it, they'd probably do it the same way they were coached 20 years ago. And we, that goes back to our initial comment. Some of that is what's really changed about the game. Coach, that, that is really good stuff. And that's probably the first time we've heard somebody as involved as you are with the youth feeder program. That's outstanding. Um, as we kind of transition here, this question is for both of you. Um, we'll ask you first, Chad. Um, it's fourth and goal. You're on the five-yard line. You're backed up. Um, what are you, what are you down by your, you know, you're up by five. So what play are you calling as a defensive coordinator, knowing you have the lead it's fourth down? Uh, what goes into your thought process? Are you, are you a heavy blitz guy? Are you going to sit down and play coverage? Uh, give us, give us just a, a quick glimpse on what that would look like for you from a defensive side of the football. Well, we, I think you usually learn the best from your failures and, uh, we've, we've, we our kids are comfortable bringing pressure and, and playing man coverage. Some of the bigger plays that we've given up over the last couple of years at the end of halves or games have been when we haven't been aggressive enough, to be honest with you. So it, while it's easy to sit back and say that and, you know, play it safe, you know, in the end, we want to make the call, I think, to bring pressure. It's what our kids are comfortable with. And, uh, you know, we've, we probably play more man-to-man coverage than most teams. We tend to have pretty good athletes on the back end, or at least the last few years, we've been pretty fortunate to do that. So like I said, I, I, this is a do as I say, not as I do, because we've probably given up more plays by, by not being aggressive enough in that situation. You know, Jeff, and I'll ask you the same thing. You're now going in. You know, you're down five, fourth and goal from the five. What are you calling now as, as the offensive coordinator? Well, you know, uh, you know, Chad and I, we talk about this a lot throughout the season, a lot preparing for the season. And I think uh, for me, it's uh, when we get inside the red zone, um, you know, we think players and not necessarily plays. How can we get X, X guy the ball? How can we get this this guy the ball? Who's our who's our playmakers? You know, and you know, a year ago, again with Noah, we'd probably say Noah throw a fade up to our you know six four wide receiver who who's playing for a state championship this weekend on the basketball team and can jump out of the gym, throw it to one of those guys. You know, this year uh, again we had a more of a running style quarterback, so we're probably going to give him some sort of option look whether it's a, a rollout pass where he can run it in. Um, you know, we've had this, uh, again, the situation a couple of times, and, and where it was fourth and five or this last season, I think it was fourth and uh, fourth and two from the 11 or 12, and 
you know, again, put the ball in the, your best athlete's hands. We we ran a tackle reverse and uh, gave it to our, you know, 6'8 tackle who's going to Harvard and runs like a gazelle. And so, you know, those coach, types I don't of things, want to cut you off, but could, could you say that again for our yeah. listeners, Coach? What, fourth and two on the 11, and, and you did what, Coach? Fourth. We uh, we ran a tackle reverse where we uh, <laughs> we, we made it look like we were running jet sweep one way and we had overs tackle and we handed the ball off to our over tackle who's uh, who's a pretty smart kid going to Harvard next fall and uh, he's six eight and he, he probably could run a four hundred meter dash for us this spring in the track and he's playing for a state basketball championship too he's a basketball kid and we we gave it to him on the reverse and uh, uh, we outran everybody and it was kind of a fun play because. Obviously, you like to try to run those things to give your lineman a a, a chance at, at scoring a touchdown. But we're uh, thankfully we're two for two with that play. We've ran it in pretty big spots, and we're two for two, so we better quit while we're ahead. <laughs> I don't know if we got anyone that can run like that. <laughs> That's phenomenal, Coach. Uh, just gonna wrap things up here with you guys. I mean, we always like to ask this at the end of our podcast, but is there anything you guys are researching or, or interested in learning about right now that? Um, um, and what resources maybe that you're using to help find out more information about that that you'd want to share with our listeners? Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, we're we're looking at doing a couple of different uh, trips this spring, going to, uh, you know, we're looking at NDSU and, and uh, maybe Iowa State to try to get away and, and uh, maybe take a day and just a clinic with some of those staffs. But uh, for us, uh, the, the greatest resources that we've had throughout the years are other coaches, other high school coaches. Um, you know, a lot of those guys, they, they know – uh, kind of the battles, some of the th- things that we're going through, and uh, some of the most successful sessions that we've had of, of you know, talking with uh, the various coaches, you know, Sam Baker, who was at Waconia, who's now in Chicago with his uh, family moved, and we've, we we talk with him a lot and other coaching staffs. Um, that's been our greatest resource uh, for us throughout the years, um, and, and we will continue to do that and talk with other coaches uh, in the area as well. Yeah, for me, with it being spring, you know, our focus this winter has been on kind of evaluating the, the kids that we have coming in and, and giving them opportunities to improve, whether that's playing other sports or providing a quality strength program for them in the winter, whichever those kids are doing. And then as a staff, we're, uh, again, like Jeff says, having conversations with other coaches, evaluating the things that we're doing schematically. And then, um, you know, with clinic season, just, just having those visits where you, you come across something that you know you can use. Um, and then for me, I always, and for head coaches out there, I mean, I, I, I don't have the luxury of always just focusing on the scheme stuff. I like to think about something that helps in the offseason build the culture of our team. Um, I haven't latched on to anything yet for this offseason, but like last year for me, it was a book called You Win in the Locker Room First. Uh, the, the year before, I read something that was recommended to me called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And those things that are about building the culture of your program in your locker room. I got to latch on to something now for this spring and, and summer that I can use in the fall. So, but those, those two were, were good resources for me. Typically what we like to do on this uh, podcast is that we like to have our guests pick their intro music. Um, this is kind of a unique situation where we got two of you. So we'll have an intro music and then also a music on our way out. And for our intro music, um, we took the, the choice by Jeff, um, who went with Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. And uh, Chad, we're taking your song on the way out with uh, Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. Guys, I'd love to hear why uh, you chose the songs that you did. <laughs> Play Jeff's first. It's got more energy. Uh, you know, I think I think back to the days when I was uh, was getting ready for games and, and you know, 
what did I listen to? And that was always my, the first song in my playlist was, uh, was, was Bulls on Parade by Rage. Uh, you know, I, it, it, for me, it was just, here we go. This is, this is what we're, we're rolling. And uh, that's, I, I, that's kind of song has spoke to me for a lot of years throughout the years. Just when I'm ever getting ready for a competition or a game, that's, that's the first song in my playlist. Yeah, for me, I, I'm a huge music fan. There's, if I'm watching film or doing something at home, there's music on for background noise, not the television. And I like all genres of music, but I'm, I've been a Bob Dylan fan for a long time. And that particular song is, uh, is kind of about uh, pride and humility. And I think both of those come from football. So. Outstanding stuff, guys. Well, we, we've, we have appreciated, uh, you know, the last 35 minutes and uh, we cannot thank you guys enough uh, for being guests on our show and, um, if we don't talk to you again, we hope you guys have a great summer and a great fall. And, and again, we appreciate everything that you've given us. Thanks for the opportunity, and we'd look forward to meeting with you guys sometime. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure talking with you.